This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's Word. Go with me to the New Testament, to the Gospel according to Mark. And we've come in our study to chapter number 2. The Gospel according to Mark in chapter number 2. And we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Mark chapter number 2 and verse number 1. And we'll read together through verse number 12. The Bible tells us, and, he, and again he entered into Capernaum after some days. And it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Wouldn't you like to have been there and heard that message? He preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. I want you to notice the question that is posed not outwardly but inwardly by the scribes who were sitting by as the Lord Jesus Christ told this man that his sins would be forgiven him. Notice in verse number 7 when they said, why did this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? I want to speak to you on that subject this morning from this passage of Scripture. Who can forgive sins? Who can forgive sins? What an important question that is. Who can forgive sins? Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have given to us your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that your word communicates to us our need for you 
and what you have done to redeem us and how that we can approach into your presence and how that our sins, which are many, can be washed away as we've sung already this morning. And I pray that you would arrest our attention in this hour. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to receive what you have. I pray that our hearts would be attentive and that this word of God would speak to each and every individual. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The question came, but it did not come outwardly. It came within their hearts and in their minds. Who can forgive sins? But the Bible said that Jesus knew their thoughts. And theirs was a good question. Who can forgive sins? And their assertion that God was the only one who could forgive sins was absolutely correct. Their error was that they would not acknowledge that God was standing before them. The Son of God, Jesus Christ. And we think about this question of sin. We need to understand that sin is something that we don't take quite as seriously as we ought to. Sin is a debilitating and it is a deadly plague and it besets every man and woman of Adam's race. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Again in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12, the Bible says, Wherefore as by one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so we find that sin is a universal condition. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. The word sin literally means to miss the mark. And when we see God's law and God's standard of righteousness, we understand that we all miss the mark. And like this lame man who was sick of a palsy, meaning he was a paralytic, he was smitten with an affliction that paralyzed his body. He had no ability to walk to church. He had no ability to even lift his hands uh, to grasp hold of something. He was paralyzed. And just like that man, those of us who are in sin have no power, we have no strength, we have no ability to fulfill the righteous demands of a holy God. And the Bible using this very language says to us that when we were yet without strength, when we had no ability to please God in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. The Bible also tells us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. You see, not only do we understand that we live in a world that is filled with physical death, but we live in a world that is surrounded with spiritual death. And when you and I are born, we are born as sinners for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. David said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. By the very fact that we are born of Adam's race, we have inherited his sin nature. And we are dead spiritually 
though we have physical life. And it is our sin which has brought about this death. And we understand that because sin is a universal condition that defiles, that debilitates, and that destroys, we are unable to come into the presence of a holy God. We are unable to approach him because we are powerless to live a life that is pleasing to him. And so we find that this man, and we think his story is really quite interesting, this paralyzed man really has a lot to do with us more than we might think because he is a representative of each and every one of us in our sinful condition. And just as he was unable to stand, as, in, as he was unable to function, you and I are unable to stand before God and to function outside of the merits of Jesus Christ. And so we see a man here who has a great need. He is sick of the palsy. He is a paralytic. He has a great need. He has a very obvious need to everyone that's looking. Can you imagine being in the in the house that day, the crowd is there, Jesus is preaching the word. All of a sudden, something falls from the ceiling. Uh, some of the materials in the ceiling, maybe some of the sticks, and uh, hopefully not any of the beams, but maybe some of the sticks that were lied there. And, and then they would take palm leaves and on top of those palm leaves, they would place dirt and grass would literally grow on the top and in the cracks between the tiles that they would place on top of the dirt. And so these guys trying to get their friend to Jesus decided we're going to break up the roof and we're going to let this man down. And you're there and you're in the, in the service, in the meeting, and Jesus is preaching with great authority. And all of a sudden this stuff starts falling from the sky. The next thing you know, there's an opening in the roof and down comes a stretcher carrying a paralytic man. And they were all gathered there because they knew what Jesus could do. They had heard him, many of them, preach. They knew people that he had already healed in Capernaum. And so they're there. Along with them is a crowd of scribes and Pharisees who had gathered together, sort of with their arms folded and a smirk in their, in the, on their uh, face as they were there to judge and check everything out and to criticize. And down comes this man through the roof. And I think what Jesus said to him was not anything anyone expected to hear. Maybe they thought he would say, rise and walk, and eventually he will. But notice what he does say. In verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, not only the faith of the four that brought him, but the faith of the man who was on the stretcher, on the bed, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. You see, Jesus maybe did not meet the most obvious need to the human eye, but he met the greatest need that the man had. That was the need of his soul. It wasn't his physical condition. It was his spiritual condition that was most concerning to the Lord Jesus. 
And he met the need of his soul, the forgiveness of his sin. Son, thy sin be forgiven thee. Those scornful scribes who were gathered there to examine Jesus of Nazareth reasoned in their hearts. And after hearing it, they asked the question, who can forgive sins? And as I said a moment ago, rightfully, they asserted that only God could do, do so. But their error was in that they failed to acknowledge and they chose willfully not to believe upon the one who stood before them who had that power. By the way, in Mark chapter number one, let's not forget that the king had already demonstrated his authority. He demonstrated his authority over Satan in the wilderness in Mark chapter one. He demonstrated his authority over his servants who answered the call to follow him. He demonstrated his authority over the evil spirits and he demonstrated his authority over sickness. If any man had the authority to forgive sin, it was the God man. And they had seen it in full display, but yet they chose to reject that this was the son of God who had power, not only over Satan, not only over sickness and evil spirits, but over sin. As we examine this passage, I want you to note with me this morning four things. I want you to see, first of all, the faith of the sinner. Then secondly, the forgiveness of the sin. Then the foolishness of the scribes. And then finally, we're going to note the fullness of, of salvation. And so I'd like for you to look at this passage with me and we notice first of all uh, the faith of the sinner. In verses 1 through 5, we understand the story as it is unfolded. Jesus has returned to Capernaum. The people have heard the news that he is back. Remember, he had been preaching throughout the towns and the villages in Uh, Galilee, And now he has returned to Capernaum. And when he returns and they hear of it, they gather together. There's a great crowd there. And what does he do with that great crowd? He preaches the word. I want to tell you what the ministry of our church is. It is to preach the word of God. It is simply to take what the Bible says and to proclaim what God has said in his word. That is the pattern that Jesus Christ himself followed. The preaching of the word. And so he preached the word. And the Bible tells us in in the gospel according to Luke in the fifth chapter in verse 17. uh, Luke tells us that as he was preaching and the people were gathered there, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Aren't you glad that when we come together in the name of Jesus, we come together around the word of God, we come together and worship him in spirit and in truth, we sing of his praises and his glory. Aren't you glad that the power of the Lord is present? And as he preached, these five men, they they came to the house and they're carrying a friend, a loved one, in a stretcher on a bed. And when they get to the house, they can't get in the house because the house is full. And not only is the house full, but all around the uh, border of the house, it is full and you can't even get to the door. 
And so they respond by going up to the roof. Uh, the houses in that day perhaps in many cases had a stairwell that would take them to the roof. The roof was a flat roof. And so they go up on the roof and they begin to break the roof up and they lower their friend down through the hole, the opening that they created in the roof. And Jesus looks at this man who is now being lowered into his presence. Eventually they lower him till he is perhaps lying on the floor and Jesus looks at him and this is what he says. He said he saw their faith. John MacArthur stated it this way. He said, when we read that Jesus saw their faith, we understand that it indicates more than just a belief in Jesus' ability to heal. In other words, the faith of these men was not just that, hey, we got to get our friend to Jesus so he can bring this man uh, back to full strength and heal him of this paralysis. But no, it indicates that when they came to Jesus, they were acknowledging him for who he was, the very son of God, who was not only able to heal him bodily, but who was able to save his soul. You see, he saw their faith and he responded to their faith. I want you to note some things about this faith. Not only that the four men who carried him possessed, but I want you to notice the faith of the fifth man who was the paralytic. First of all, as we think about his faith, I want you to see that his or their faith resulted from hearing about Jesus. The Bible tells us in verse number one that, uh, uh, that he uh, entered into Capernaum after some days and it was noise that he was in the house. Uh, they had heard of him, no doubt, but now they're hearing that he is there, that he, is, he has arrived once again into Capernaum. They heard the message and they responded to the message. Aren't you glad that you and I heard the message that Jesus has come and that he came 2,000 years ago, born of a virgin in Bethlehem and that he lived and, and, and he fulfilled the just demands of a holy God and that he gave his life for you and I and that on the third day after he gave his life on the cross, he arose again victorious over death and hell and the grave. Aren't you glad you heard that message? And hearing that message and recognizing your need as a sinner, as a sinful creature, when you heard that, it produced a faith in you. The Bible tells us in Romans 10 and verse number 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So this was a faith that resulted from hearing about Jesus. Secondly, we see that their faith moved them, not only as they heard about Jesus, but their faith moved them to come to Jesus. They were willing because of their belief in who he was to approach him, to bring their need to him. I'm glad that Jesus said, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. But friend, you have to be willing to come. And they came to Jesus. 
I noticed the third thing about their faith, and that was this, that their faith led them forward, though there were many obstacles. Their faith led them forward, though there were many obstacles. Notice what the Bible says in verse 2, And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto him. Verse 3, and they come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy which was born afore, and when they could not come nigh unto him for the press. You see, there was an obstacle there, and it was the people. The people were gathered together in the house. They had filled the house, and you, you could not even get to the door because the outside in the yard, uh, the outer court, uh, you couldn't even get to the door because the outer court was filled with people. I want to tell you, they refused to let people keep them from getting to Jesus. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I don't want to go to that church. It's filled with hypocrites. Well, if it's not, the moment you get there, it will be, right? Because we're all hypocrites. We're all sinners. We all need a Savior. And so, well, I don't want to go to that place. I don't want to go to that church because there are people there. And I, I may not get my seat. I may not get my parking spot. Or worse yet, I may not like that person. And I might be thinking about what that person is thinking about me. And I don't necessarily want to go to that place and see Jesus because there are people there that I don't like and who don't like me. That didn't matter to that paralytic man. He didn't care who was there. It didn't matter to him because he knew there was one there. There was one there who could meet the need of his soul. I'm going to tell you something. We don't come to church or not come to church because we're concerned necessarily about what others may say or think. What we come to church for is not to please one another, although we do encourage one another when we come to church, and we do have accountability to one another, and therefore we should come. But the reason we come is not necessarily uh, for the approval or disapproval of any person other than the Son of God. Can you imagine if one of the four said, look, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, man, but I can't go in there. I got a problem with that guy. Which guy? The guy on the second row. It doesn't matter. I'm paralyzed. I need to be healed and I need to be saved. I don't want to go to hell forever. Oh, we need to think about what's at stake, don't we? You see, their faith moved them forward, though there were many obstacles. And let me tell you, Satan knows exactly what obstacles to place in our path. Number four, I want you to notice their faith was the faith that removed obstacles. It removed obstacles and found the way to Jesus. I mean, those guys got creative, didn't they? They said, well, hey, hey, what are we going to do? I don't know. We got to get in there. Jesus is in there. Well, how are we going to get in there? 
I got an idea. I used to work on a roofing crew. I know how to break that thing open. Let's go in, break that, let's go upstairs, break that thing open, and we'll, we'll tie a rope. Hey, let's imagine his name's John or Bill or whatever you want to call him. Hey, John, we're going to tie the rope to the four corners of this thing. We're going to lower you down. I don't know if he was crazy about the idea, but he needed to get to Jesus. You see, they did not allow the obstacles to keep them from getting to Jesus. They pressed on and they found a way to remove the barriers and get to Jesus. Do you know what that was a measure of? Do you know what that was a test of? It was a test of their true faith. Most of us would be content to say, well, you know, we tried. We tried. I tried that pray, praying thing. I tried that reading my Bible thing. I tried that going to church thing. I tried that witnessing thing. I tried. But there were obstacles. But you see, if we have faith, if we believe in who Jesus is, and we believe in his power to work miracles, if we believe the need of the human soul is great, then we'll find the way to remove the obstacles. And by the way, when we demonstrate a desire to see them removed, he'll move them for us. What did he say about that faith? He said, if you had faith the size of the grain of a mustard seed, you'd move a mountain. But it doesn't take a mountain to stop most of us. It just takes a little bump. Just a little bump. Let me give you a fifth thing about their faith. Their faith constrained them to bring their friend to Jesus. They said, we, we got to get this guy to Jesus. There's no other hope for him but Jesus. Now, we cannot prove this from the passage, but we certainly can see the implication here is that this man perhaps was sick of the palsy because of sin in his own life. Because when he comes to the Lord Jesus and Jesus sees his faith, he understands that this man has the need of sin to be forgiven. And it is likely that because of that sin, this sickness has come to him. Now, not everyone who is sick is sick because of sin. We need to understand that. That's the argument Job's friends made, by the way. And it was an erroneous argument. The disciples said about the man born blind, who sinned? And Jesus said, oh, this man is not blind because of sin. He's blind for the glory of God because I want to do a work in him. But he addresses this man's sin. And these four boys or these four men who brought their friend to Jesus because of their faith in what Jesus could do was willing to carry that friend to Jesus. You know, we need to bring people to Jesus. You got people in your family, you think, I don't know what to do with them. You got people you work with and people in your neighborhood, you think, I don't know what to do with them. I don't know what to do with these kids on this bus route. I want to tell you the only thing that we can do that will ever have a lasting effect is to bring them to Jesus. And if we have faith that he can do what he said he would, then we'll continue to work to bring them to Jesus. Not only do we see that, but we see this about their faith. Their faith was rewarded by Jesus. 
The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, we see the faith of the sinner. Then I want you to notice, secondly, the forgiveness of sin. The forgiveness of sin. When Jesus saw their faith, including the faith of the man who was lying before him, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. As I said a moment ago, the Lord addressed the man's greatest need by bypassing his most obvious need, which was his physical condition. His greatest need was his spiritual condition. Warren Wiersbe said it this way, forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus performs. It meets the greatest need. It costs the greatest price. And it brings the greatest blessings and the most lasting results. You see, had Jesus simply healed the paralytic man without saving him, let me tell you what would have happened to the paralytic man. He would have walked and done the things a normal man could do, but when he died, he would have went to hell for all eternity. One moment in hell, a lifetime without Jesus doesn't matter. The Bible said, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? In other words, if you had everything that life could offer you in this world and you died and went to hell, then what good would life have been to you when you're facing an eternity in that dreadful place? John Phillips said, when Jesus said, son, that put him into the family of God. Aren't you glad that we're in the family of God? What puts us there? Our faith. When he said your sins are forgiven, that put him in fellowship with God. We can have a relationship with God. Phillips goes on to say forgiven. What a blessed word for a sin burdened soul. I want you to think about that man sick of the palsy. Paralyzed. Unable to move. As a result on his part of some foolish action or some sinful act that he participated in, some disease that came his way. Don't you think he lived in regret over what he had done? He couldn't move. He had no health. And Jesus said, I want you to know something. Your sins are forgiven. What a blessed word for a sin-burdened soul. Phillips goes on to say the debt discharged the guilt gone the conscience cleansed the past pardoned the record removed maybe you're here this morning with a burden of sin with a conscience riddled with guilt with an awful sense and dread of the debt that you owe God with a past and with a record. And oh, how you long, oh, how you long to be forgiven. There's only one who can do it. His name is Jesus. 
And I got some good news for you. Jesus said in his word that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He is faithful. That means he'll do it. He is just. That means he's right. And he's right to do it not based on the merit of your life. He is right to do it based on the merit of his impeccable life. His sinless life. I want you to look with me if you would please in Romans chapter number 4. Romans chapter number 4. And verse number 5. You say, how does this forgiveness come to me? Well, it comes by faith. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. But to him that worketh not. In other words, there is no amount of good works that you can do that will earn your favor with God. The reason is because you're coming to those works from the standpoint of the fact that you are a sinner. A sinner. And therefore your works cannot please God. Notice again verse 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You see, there it is, that faith. Faith is the transaction. It is the currency that exchanges our guilt for his righteousness. And it is the thing which makes us just. Notice verse 6, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man, unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, notice verse 7, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. The greatest news that man could have ever heard that day was that his sin was forgiven. The debt was gone. The guilt had been removed. And how do we come to this faith? We come simply by grace and not through works. It is the gift of God lest any man should boast. The forgiveness of sin, it is extended to him. Then I want you to notice the third thing in this passage. Not only uh, do we see here uh, the faith of the sinner and the forgiveness of sin, but then we see the foolishness of the scribes. Notice it, if you would please, in verse number six. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. I mean, they've watched all this happen. They've seen his other miracles. Uh, there were some Pharisees who had come. The Bible tells us in, in Luke's gospel, there were some Pharisees gathered there with those scribes, and many of the scribes were Pharisees, uh, and they had come from Judea, and they were gathered there uh, to, to ridicule and to criticize Jesus. By the way, that crowd is in every church. And don't be surprised when they want to pour water on you. And rain on your parade. That crowd's in every church. And here we see. They are there. And they're sitting there. That's what they do. And reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? 
I want you to notice about the foolishness of these scribes. First of all, they had witnessed his power and authority as demonstrated already in his teaching, in his command of the unclean spirits, and in his healing of the sick. They had witnessed it. Secondly, these scribes were the teachers who claimed to know the scriptures, but failed to recognize the one who wrote them. Remember what Jesus said to them in one place. He said, ye do err, not knowing the scriptures. He said, they, the scriptures, are they which testify of me. Do you know what the Bible's about? It's all about Jesus. That's what it's about. And here are the guys who said, we know the Bible. We're the scribes. Look to us. Call us rabbi. We want to be honored and revered. They couldn't even tell you who the author was when he was standing before them. And then finally we see that they refused to acknowledge him because of their pride and their covetousness. They liked the position of authority. And they didn't want Jesus, they didn't want Jesus reigning on their parade. And so they, they accused him of the worst thing you could be accused of in that day, in that culture. They accused him of the sin of blasphemy. And to them, the blasphemy was is that by extending to this man the forgiveness of sin, that he, Jesus, had equated himself with God. But then notice what happens. By the way, they're not saying this outwardly. They're just kind of mulling it over in their hearts. And they're probably raising their eyebrows. And they're probably giving that disapproving look. And they're probably looking at each other going, And so what happens? Verse 8. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? He called them out on it, didn't he? A blasphemer, a son of Beelzebub, could not read their thoughts and their hearts. There was only one who could read their thoughts and their heart. And that was God. And he read it to them. And still they rejected him. You know, there's always going to be a crowd that will look righteous outwardly, but inwardly, they won't come to Jesus. They're full of pride. And they're full of themselves. Would to God that we would humble ourselves. Recognize who Jesus is. Recognize who we are. And come to him for salvation. And the forgiveness of sin. And so we see here the faith of the sinner. and We see the forgiveness of sin. We see uh, the foolishness of the scribes. And then I want you to see the last thing we note here. And that is. The fullness of salvation. But Jesus has just said to this man, thy sins be forgiven thee. Boy, he knew it when it happened, didn't he? You remember when you got saved? 
I mean, when you really confess the Lord Jesus and you confess your sin to him and the Holy Spirit of God forgave you, removed that burden of guilt and he came to dwell in your heart, you knew it happened when it happened. He knew it. But that crowd of scribes, they just sit there reasoning in their hearts. This, this, who is this guy? Who, who does he think he is? He's a blasphemer. And so the Lord Jesus demonstrates now for all to see in the life of this man the transformation that only he could make in his life, that being Jesus, in the life of this paralytic. Notice in verse number nine, he poses as he reasons with the scribes. And, and by the way, our, our Savior is a reasonable person. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, the Lord said, come now, let us reason together. God is reasoning with sinners, trying to appeal to them, hoping that they will come to him or in an effort rather to draw them to himself. The Bible said God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. His desire is for all to be saved. And so he is reasoning with all of humanity to come to him. There is a day coming when he will no longer reason. But he is reasoning with them. And he's reasoning here with these scribes. And by reasoning with these scribes, he is reasoning with this crowd that is watching all of this take place. Notice what he says in verse 9. Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk. And so the Lord Jesus, by performing this miracle, is going to confirm his message. You see, the miracle wasn't part of the sideshow. In fact, it wasn't a sideshow at all. That's what the people wanted. Like you go to the circus. Jesus wasn't interested in that. He was there to transform their life and to forgive them of their sin. By the way, that's the reason Jesus came. Paul said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He wasn't there to put on a show for them. He was there to save them from their sin. And so he's reasoning with them. And through this miracle, he is validating the message of salvation. He is validating that he is the son of God, the Messiah. And so we see his reasoning with the scribes. And then we see his remedy for the sinner. Notice it, please. He said in verse 10, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith then to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee. In other words, he turned his gaze away from those disapproving looks of the scribes and he looked directly into the face of that man who he had just forgiven. And this is what he said, Arise, take up thy bed and go thy way into thy house. And immediately he arose took up the bed and went forth before them all insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw it on this fashion. 
I believe Brother Daniels, those guys were from East Tennessee. We never saw it on this fashion. That's some East Tennessee lingo. They said, we, we never saw anything like this. Well, that ought to have told them that there was someone there unlike any other that had ever walked the face of the earth who was standing in their presence. We never saw it on this fashion. You see, here we find the remedy. Now, notice something about the remedy. The remedy came as a result of his word. The remedy came as a result of his word. By the way, God spoke this universe into existence. God breathed into man the breath of life, and he became a living soul. The Bible tells us that we are begotten, we are born again by the word of God. It is the word of God that imparts life to the dead man. It is the word of God that gives life to a lost man. It is the word of God that extends forgiveness and grace to an unregenerate man. And so we see his remedy for the sinner was in his spoken word. I say unto thee, arise, take up thy bed, go thy way into thy house. You see, this man's healing was immediate. Notice verse 12, and immediately he arose. Not only was it immediate, but it was full. It was full. He was not partially healed. Do you know he did not have to schedule a follow-up with the doctor? <clears throat> there were no tests that were necessary to be run. He did not have to take one session of physical or occupational therapy. There was no stops at CVS for his medication. There was no prolonged treatment of any kind. Now, people who are paralyzed, there's an atrophy that takes place in their muscles, and their muscles literally deteriorate, and in the areas of their limbs, they, they become nearly nothing but skin and bone oftentimes. And here this man who was paralyzed and in that dreadful condition at the very word of Jesus, immediately, without any other treatment, without any exercise routine, without any doctor's uh, intervention whatsoever, he is completely and fully restored back to strength and power and to demonstrate. So Jesus said, that stretcher, you take that thing out of here, would you? And you boys fix that roof. You see, this salvation is full and free. The guy didn't have a limp. He didn't need a crutch. A wheelchair or a jazzy seat. He walked home carrying that thing. You know, the Bible tells us that we who know the Lord Jesus, we walk in the Spirit. The Bible tells us that we who know Jesus are to walk in the newness of life. How foolish would it have been for the man having heard the word of Jesus, receiving the forgiveness of sin and the divine healing that only Jesus could give, how, how foolish would it have been if he had continued to lay there on that bed? You know what happens to many Christians? We live like we still have paralysis. When we have a Savior who has forgiven us, and who has fully saved us. 
and we have the supernatural strength and power of the Holy Ghost. And yet we live like men who need four guys to carry us around. May God help us. There's only one who can forgive sins. His name is Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.